produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Amr. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. It has been so long since you and I have been in a studio together, Yasmin. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I miss all of our colleagues. I miss being in an actual studio where it's soundproof and not a dark closet. I know, even (laughs) though I am pretty proud of my closet setup, but still. Um, And I miss talking to you in person. It's it, it has been a long time, but, you know, we are coping and we're doing our best to deal with it. What about you? Yeah, we're hanging in there, too. Um, My partner, Kevin's in law school, so he's doing classes through Zoom. I'm recording from my blanket fort still. And yeah, just missing friends, missing family, missing colleagues. But I'm glad that we're able to talk to them through like FaceTime and and online because it it really does make a difference. I'm really glad that we have that. Makes a huge difference. We actually have a virtual uh, trivia night coming up tomorrow that I'm pretty excited about. So it's not all bad. I'm so jealous. That sounds so fun. (laughs) So a few days ago, we got to speak to someone who a lot of our listeners probably know. And I know that we are huge fans of his work. And he's really someone that has been in the kindness stories game for a long time. He's been doing these stories for years. I'm talking about Steve Hartman of CBS. Steve's segment is called On the Road, and he travels around the country looking for stories of ordinary people stepping up for others in compassionate and caring ways. From this day forward, for worse, for poor, and in sickness... Corey and Taisha will honor the harshest demands of their wedding vows because they know those are the only parts of the promise that guarantee you a happily ever after. Steve Hartman, on the road in Houston, Texas. But right now, Steve can't be on the road. And like many of us, he's talking to people through a screen. He's also facing some unexpected hurdles. The bigger challenge has been trying to edit the stories with my kids home 24-7, bored out of their minds, wanting to help. So that's actually been the bigger challenge, but at the same time, the, the greatest joy. Being at home with his three young children got Steve thinking about how to help other families. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Is anybody out there? Ah, I see some people are there already. I like students. So he launched a virtual class called Kindness 101, first on Facebook Live and now on the CBS News website. And I decided everyone needed a little bit of kindness, and I thought everybody needed a lot of babysitting. So I combined those two into this online class where parents could get at least a little break and uh, teach the kids a little something about kindness. And so that's how the whole show got started. It's a show for kids where Steve talks about topics like altruism, courage, friendship, and empathy. And he plays some of the stories he's done as examples. He says there are families all over the country watching him. And it's not just kids. He's received messages from people of all ages who are tuning in. And the show has been a hit online, but also in his own home, making each episode all from his home office in Catskill, New York, is now a family affair. Now we're going to go on to today's lesson, which is optimism. Muriel, what is optimism? Um, 
and an optimistic person look on the bright side. Yeah, that's good. It's like hopefulness, right? Yeah, yeah it's like being positive. So we have to say, you have a pretty formidable production team. You've got Meryl, Emmett, and George. Those are your children. What was it like to work with them on this series? They were not supposed to work with me. Meryl wanted to hold a sign. That's the way it started. And then she started talking. And then she started taking over. And now we, the, the little traveling we do outside the house, uh, somebody sees us, they'll go, Hi, Meryl. They rec- you know, she's more famous than I am now. I want you guys to try something hard. I don't care what it is. Try something that's hard for you. What do you want to try, Meryl? I want to think about that. You're going to think about that? I have an idea. What? Riding a bike. How do you think you'd feel if you were able to ride that bike? I feel like I did the impossible for me. Right. And that's what this is all about. Steve, you know, you have a classroom now. <laughs> I'm curious what um, what that transition was like for you and some of the challenges that it took to get this up and running. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we've had a group of teachers. Uh, they're part of a Facebook group called On the Road for Educators. First thing I did was reach out to them, say, help, how do I do this? <laughs> because although I have many stories about optimism and courage and gratitude and fortitude, I never really had to teach how to be like that. And to be honest with you, don't tell my bosses this, but using these stories in classrooms as teaching tools now matters more to me than the actual broadcast. Again, this needs to stay just between us and everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's just It just needs to stay public to kind world. That's just, it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So if you're going to leave us with a homework assignment in preparation for your next class, what would it be? One of the things that I learned was that if you go through one day looking for things that you're grateful for, I told the kids to take 10 pennies and put them in their left pocket. And throughout your day, when you find something that you're grateful for, take one of those pennies and put it in your right pocket. So you're constantly on the lookout for things that you're grateful for. And by the end of the day, if you move all 10 pennies from one pocket to the other, you're going to be more optimistic because you've realized all the things positive in your life. And I'm actually going to try that. You know, I just thought of it, but I think I'm going to try this myself. And why kindness? Well, Steve told us it was inspired by a man he interviewed a few times named Chris Rosati, who had ALS and died in 2017. One of the most important things he ever said to me was, if you teach a kid good character, everything else falls into place. And and, and it rang true. If a kid grows up with kindness and fairness and honesty, they'll find good work. They'll find love. They'll find friendships. And that's kind of the lesson that stuck with me the most and has fueled my passion about sharing these stories and repurposing the stories that have run on the evening news for this greater goal of making kids better people, kinder, with stronger character. Once you officially graduate from Kindness 101, you'll be asked to go out and share what you have learned, not by lecturing other kids and grown-ups, but by 
setting an example. So that's what's yeah. going to be required of you after you graduate, right? Not like bragging, not bragging. Right, not bragging. Thank you so much to Steve Hartman for speaking with us. You can find Steve's Kindness 101 class at cbsnews.com slash kindness101. New episodes will be released until June. And you can see more of Steve's beautiful stories for On the Road on the CBS Evening News. We'll be back with more Kind World after the break. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahi. In times of crises, many of us have our go-to support network, likely our family and close friends. But what about support from a totally unexpected source? That can be healing in its own way. And a heads up, before we start, this story does mention suicide. I hiked up to this little peak and I watched the sunset and it was just beautiful. Sunsets in Joshua Tree are otherworldly. They really are. Jana Bounds has always found solace in nature. More than three years ago, she moved from Missouri to Big Sky in western Montana, a tiny ski town straight off a postcard. Big snow-capped mountains, rows of pine trees, that sort of thing. Now she's in the Mojave Desert at Joshua Tree National Park, looking to heal from a profound loss. And that was my first thing where I was like, I'm going to be alone most of this trip. I'm just going to be on a mountaintop and I'm going to be healing in nature. And that's what this is all going to be about. If you've ever been to Joshua Tree, you can definitely get what Jana's talking about. The iconic twisty spike leaf trees, the rocky hills overlooking the vast desert landscape. It's breathtaking and it's really easy to get lost. I found myself on a trail that split, and then it split again, and then it split again, and I was completely lost. I started trekking, and I went, there were snakes on the move, and I'm terrified of snakes. I'm terrified of being lost. I mean, it was basically all of my fears were coming in at me at the same time. The thing is, Jana was in Joshua Tree because she wanted to say goodbye to her close friend, John Jones. This was his favorite place. His ashes were scattered in Joshua Tree. And I knew I needed to go. I need to do something that allows for me to honor the person. And then, in a way close that chapter. John died by suicide in October 2017. 
He was a former Marine who struggled with PTSD. In their last phone call, Jana says she heard something different in his voice. He sounded weary. And there had been another time previously when he had said something like that he shouldn't be alone with his thoughts in his apartment. And immediately my knee-jerk reaction was, well, you know, get out of your apartment. Go do something. Find your friends. I think it was the immediate um, desire to fix it instead of to listen. After John died, Jana says she felt a tremendous sense of loss and a lot of guilt. You know, I, I think it's a natural thing when you lose anybody to mull it over in your mind and think, well, I should have done this or what if I would have caught that. But I think that all of those feelings and all of that guilt is amplified by suicide. Uh, I've lost people, but it's never been as painful and as raw as losing John in that way. The trip to Joshua Tree was an attempt to ease that pain. But then she found herself lost and alone in a dark, open desert. Hours of hiking into the night, Jana finally found a campsite. She was safe, but a little deflated. I, I was questioning my sanity, actually. The whole trip at that point in time seemed completely preposterous. The next morning, there were a couple more people at the campground who'd landed there by accident. My name's Sabine. I'm 50 years old. I live with my husband, uh, Martin, and my son uh, in Vienna. Sabine Klein and her husband, Martin Wiedel, were visiting from Austria. It was their first trip to the U.S. Coincidentally, they ended up in Joshua Tree, at the same campground as Jana. And since she was the only other person there, they struck up a casual conversation. And there I could see that she was in a little bit of distress. But she hided it quite well. It was a feeling I had that she was just lost in that place and that I, I had to um, get her out of that place. Sabine asked Jana if she wanted to join them on their trip. And for the next four days, the three of them drove through the desert. At night, Jana would set up her tent next to the Austrian couple's rented RV. They'd spend their day hiking together, then climb up on a hill to watch the sunset. And it was very therapeutic in that it made me appreciate the beauty of every single day. I was just grateful to be safe and around nice people and to, you know, have these really great experiences. Jana opened up about John, the reason why she was at Joshua Tree, and the grief she was feeling over his death. The most silent moment was um, being with uh, Jana in this uh, enormous field of chola trees. I felt John there. I don't know. It was, it was one of those moments when Jana said, I wonder if, if John ever passed here, ever came by. Um, that stroked me. For Jana, it was profound to experience such kindness from complete strangers. It was something unexpected, a gift. I found literally lifelong friends, and I think it renewed my faith in humanity. 
and in life itself. That trip allowed me to hit reset. A reset meant that Jana was able to move on with her life. And when she returned to Montana, she learned as much as she could about suicide prevention. We're having a national crisis right now. And I think we have to have the willingness to discuss it. Jana still misses her friend John. Some days are better than others. But every now and then, she gets a text on her phone from another friend, Sabine in Austria. A picture of a sunset. A simple reminder that there's still beauty in every day. If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Hey, thanks for listening to Kind World this week. Check out our Instagram for more on this episode and a look into how we make the show. We're at WBUR Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR. Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow. Catherine Brewer is our managing producer and editor. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahi. And I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. We'll be back with a full episode of Kind World next Tuesday. But on Friday, we'll have another listener voicemail drop in your feed. So you can start the weekend off with our bonus moment of kindness. If you've got a story for us, call 617-353-6350. Leave us a voicemail. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.